This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for us to look together into the Word of God and find, if you would please, the book of Acts. You'll find it in the New Testament, the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 16, Acts chapter number 16. And uh, as we come to Acts chapter number 16, we'll look together at a few verses here this morning, and I trust that God will use His Word uh, to speak to you and meet the needs of your life today. Acts chapter number 16, and uh, the Bible tells us in Acts 16, beginning in verse number 16, about uh, an event that took place in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And uh, not only do we find that this takes place in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, but we find that uh, the events interweave within the lives of people. Uh, who are in a place called Philippi. And uh, we're going to meet uh, this morning a woman named Lydia who was uh, a merchant woman. She was a, the Bible said she was a seller of purple. She sold linens, fine linens. And we're going to meet a girl who was possessed of a devil and she was a slave and uh, she was one who uh, was reported of as having a gift to tell people their fortunes. But we find that, again, she was enslaved at not only to a human owner, but she was enslaved to the devil. And then we're going to find a man who just an ordinary man. He was a man with a family who had a job, and he was trying to take care of his family. And he worked as a jailer. And before the day would be done, he would meet the Apostle Paul and, of course, hear the news that had transpired in the city of Philippi. And what we find is that God is involved in our lives. Uh, we've heard much in recent weeks about the coronavirus and the crisis or the threat that it poses. And the word crisis is defined as this, a time of intense difficulty trouble or danger, a time of intense difficulty, trouble or danger. And of course, uh, as the news uh, began to uh, move through our country this past few weeks concerning the threat of the coronavirus, and we saw major events, sporting events uh, that were canceled, closing down, and the threat of our health uh, and the alarms that were sounded, uh, we find ourselves in a most unusual time. And uh, we could say it is a time of crisis. There is a threat, there is a danger, a microscopic uh, virus that you cannot identify with the human eye is able uh, to infect our human bodies and to bring people uh, to the point of death. And it is, it is uh, a virus that not only 
affects human bodies, but it has the potential to spread uh, to many. And uh, it has the potential to shut down uh, nations. And we see it happening. And as we see it happening, we are beginning to become more aware of the threat and of the danger. And we thank God for our leaders that the Lord has placed in positions of authority. We thank God for all of those who are uh, serving in the medical field and working tirelessly uh, to help us. We thank those who are making policies to uh, warn us and promote safety and promote health. We thank God for all of those folks and we, we pray for them. But we understand now, perhaps more than a week or two weeks ago, the dangers that we face. And we find that God can use crises to reveal to us the needs of our lives and to instruct us and to help us. And I believe that our church, as I said last Wednesday evening, uh, will be a better church as a result of what we're dealing with today. I believe our Christian school will be a better Christian school. And I believe that God will use this, no doubt, in the lives of many people to bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to look at a crisis. And it was not perhaps evident that it was on the magnitude of the one we face today. It was a crisis in the life of a few people that revealed a greater need and a crisis that all of us face. And that crisis poses for us a greater threat than any virus or any event uh, that humanity will encounter in a physical way. It is the crisis of our sin and the need for people to be saved. And we're going to meet this jailer and he's going to come to an awareness of his need, and he's going to ask what is the most critical question we could ever ask. And we find it in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter number 16, and verse number 30. Acts chapter number 16, and verse number 30. The Bible says, and brought them out. That's speaking of the jailer. He has brought Paul and his companion Silas out of the jail and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Here's a man who when he started the day had no idea what he would be facing. But before the day had ended, he was facing death. He was entrusted with the care and keeping of two prisoners. And when it was apparent that those two prisoners and all the people in the prison were about to escape, he went to take his own life. That was a time of crisis for him. 
Everything he'd worked for, everything he had strived for throughout his life was coming to an end because he knew that as the jailer, he would face the responsibility of allowing those prisoners to escape. And in the moment when he knew that his death was imminent, God, in that moment of crisis, revealed to him the greatest need that he had, and that was the need for salvation. And he asked the question, and he asked two men who could help him, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want to share with you a couple of thoughts this morning as we consider this question. First of all, I want to share with you the providence behind his question. The providence behind his question. We don't know this man by name. We certainly don't know a, a lot about him, but we do know his occupation. He was a jailer. Uh, we know that he must have been a man who was uh, a man who commanded authority. He must have been a man who had experience uh, in dealing with difficult people because here he is, a jailer. He's in charge. He, he is responsible uh, for the prisoners in the jail. And, and we find that this man on this day will come to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Now, we don't know had he, if he had been thinking about that question very much before. Perhaps he had. But like most people, I would imagine that he had not thought much about the question, what must I do to be saved? It's amazing that people do a lot of planning in their lives. They, they plan for their vacation. They plan for special events. They, they plan for their retirement. But many are unwilling to plan for the event that is the most inevitable of all, and that is death. The Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And so we find that this man is going to be confronted with the inevitability of his death. And it is God who, through the crisis of his life, is working to bring him to finally pause and consider the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Is it that God, in this hour, is using this crisis in our nation and in our world to cause people to stop long enough to think about the question of the eternal destiny of their souls and begin to wonder, Sirs, what must I do? to be saved. And you see, for this man to even ask this question, for him to even consider this question, we find that God is pursuing him and that God is using the trouble and that God is using the difficulty to get the attention of this man to bring him to an awareness of the need of his soul. We see here the Bible tells us in verse number 6 of Acts chapter 16, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Verse number 8, And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. 
Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Paul and his companion Silas and their team were traveling together, preaching the gospel. They were missionaries on the move, spreading the message of the gospel. And uh, they were busy, and God was blessing. And we can see them. Their desire was to go to Asia. But the Bible says that the Lord would not allow them to go to Asia. Next, they decided to go to Bithynia. But the Bible tells us that the Spirit suffered them not. You see, they had a plan. They were going about their pace and their life. And they had laid it out as far as where they were going. But God interrupted their plans. And may I say to you, as our plans have been interrupted in recent days, that God reserves the right to interrupt our plans. And that we must trust the Lord as he interrupts our plans to direct our lives in the course that he desires for us to travel. You see, what Paul did not know is that there was a woman named Lydia or a, de a demoniac girl or a jailer who needed Jesus in Philippi. But the Lord knew it. And the Lord reserved the right to redirect the Apostle Paul and his plans. You see, God in his providence was directing Paul. To Philippi. The Bible tells us in verse number 13 that once Paul arrived in Philippi, that he had his first convert. Notice, if you would please, in verse 13, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. Here was a lady who was a religious lady. Uh, she had a, a desire to know God and to worship God, but she did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. She did not have the knowledge that she needed concerning salvation. And so the apostle Paul preached to her and to others who were gathered there. And the Bible tells us that the Lord opened the heart of this lady and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. In other words, she not only heard him, her heart was open and she obeyed and listened carefully and followed Paul's instruction concerning who Christ was and how she could become a Christian. And so the Bible tells us in verse 15, and when she was baptized, she as a believer trusted Christ. Then she followed the Lord in baptism and her household. She besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And so we find that God in his providence brought a woman named Lydia to salvation. The Bible tells us in verses 16 through 18 about this demon possessed girl. We see the story in verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Here was a girl possessed by a demonic spirit. And that demonic spirit enabled her uh, to be one who would be perceived as a fortune teller. She was a servant. She was the bond slave. And uh, because of her ability to at least convince people that she could tell their future, because of that, uh, she brought her masters much gain. They profited greatly off of her. You see, this girl's not only a slave to men, but she is a slave to the devil. 
The Bible says that she followed Paul, verse number 17. The, the, the Bible says the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she, verse 18, many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her the same hour. And here a demon-possessed girl was delivered. She was delivered from demonic possession. She was delivered uh, from the chains of bondage that Satan had placed around her. And then we find that the master of this demon-possessed girl, he protested greatly. Notice in verse 19, and when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. I want to tell you that when people come to know the Lord Jesus, uh, there will be others who are not happy. There will be others who oppress and, and, and try to resist the message of the gospel. And so we find these men who had profited off this girl now bring Paul and his companions before the magistrates in verse number 20 and brought them to the magistrates saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now notice what happens to Paul and Silas. And the Bible teaches that they were falsely accused. They were arrested. They had a, a, a mock trial. It, it, it certainly was nothing, nothing just was done in the midst of that trial. And uh, they are beaten by a mob of people who take a scourge and begin to whip them with the scourge. And laid, the Bible said, many stripes on them. Now think about that crisis. Here we are trying to do the work of God. Can you imagine if we're in the streets, if we're talking to our friends or trying to have a church service and people are upset when uh, those uh, that they know are converted and so they begin to accuse us of false things and, and the reward that we get for our service is to be beaten, to be falsely accused. This is what happened to the Apostle Paul. This is the crisis that he entered into himself and it was no new crisis for him. He had previously been stoned with uh, people who were trying to kill him with rocks and, and he survived that though it appeared that he was dead. And the Bible says he, he came up from that, he recovered from that and so he was used to persecution. But think of the crisis that he endured and, and, and think of the response that he gave in the midst of this crisis. He, he didn't say, well, I, I, better, I better retreat. I, I, I better quit serving God. Uh, I can't believe the Lord's allowed this to happen to me. And sometimes, sometimes in the midst of difficulties, as believers, we can have that attitude. But that was not the attitude the Apostle Paul had. Notice in verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Here these men brought into the jail began to praise God and worship the Lord and talk about Jesus and the things that he had done for them. And then a miraculous thing happens. Notice in verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed and the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing 
that the prisoners had been fled. I want you to understand that all of the things that took place in the lives of Lydia, in the life of this demoniac girl, in the beating and the persecution and the false accusations that came against Paul and Silas, which led to them being placed in the jail, their praises to God and the power of God to shake the earth, to open the doors of the prison and to loose the bands of the prisoners. All of those things were acts of God that were used to bring this man, this jailer, to an awareness of his need for Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, God is using the events of our lives. He's using this crisis to bring people to an awareness of their need for Jesus. And so the man asked the question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? We see the providence behind this question. I want you to see the second thing, and that is the problem posed by this question. The problem that is posed by this question. The Bible says in verse 27, the keeper of the prison awakening out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Now this man would have been held accountable for the escape of the prisoners. They were committed to his trust. And had they escaped, his life would have been required. And he realizing this, decided to take matters into his own hand and to end his life. In the midst of that, what did Paul do? Notice verse 28. Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. Then he, that's the jailer, called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, when we have someone ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Immediately, that presents another question for us. What is the danger? What is the imminent threat that you're facing? What is it that you need to be saved from? Now we understand in verse number 28 that Paul spared by his crying out to this man, help spare the life of the man. Again, he's convinced the prisoners are escaping. He's convinced that he's going to be held accountable. He's convinced that that will require his death. And so to spare himself all of that process, he's going to end his own life. And Paul in that moment cries out to him, do thyself no harm. So having been spared of the physical danger, what danger now is he concerned about? You see, Paul has alleviated that concern, but he has awakened the man by the Holy Spirit to another concern. Not the concern for his physical life, but the concern for his soul, the concern over his eternal destiny. You see, God has worked in his providential manner to bring the man to consider this question, what will happen to my soul? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 verse 27, it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. You see, God has demonstrated his power in the life of this jailer.
God has, through the witness of the Apostle Paul and his traveling companion Silas, he has used them to be a testimony of the grace of God. He knows there's something about these men and the God they serve that is unlike any of the pagan gods that he had been accustomed to worshiping. And God is beginning to reveal to this man his need. And then in the time of this man's greatest crisis, there's only two men in that jail who are concerned for his soul, and that is Paul and Silas. And may I say to our church and to all of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of a crisis that we're going through, may God use us to be concerned about the souls of men and women. Amen. May God use these circumstances to bring men and women to an awareness of their need to help them understand there is something they need to be saved from and it poses a greater threat than the coronavirus. It is a dreadful disease that permeates the bloodstream of all humanity. It is the disease of sin. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us because of one man's sin, Adam, that sin has passed into the uh, human race and that all humanity is infected by it. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin, that is the, the, what we deserve as sinners, the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. What we deserve as sinners is death. God said to, a, to Adam in the garden, if you eat of this fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Know that in the day you eat of it, ye shall surely die. And when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they died. They died immediately that day. They died immediately in their spirit. God's spirit departed from them. They died progressively in their soul. You see, when you take, when you take the light of God's truth and God's presence out of your soul, it begins to grow dark. And then they died ultimately in their bodies. They began to die that day. Death came in. And the children that were born unto them inherited that trait. And every child that's been born of Adam's race has inherited a sin nature. We're sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned unto our own way. We've turned away from God. We've turned away from his righteousness. And we have turned to sin. And so we have a disease in our world that is lethal. A disease called sin. We have a disease in our nation today, a virus, and we're doing all we can to prevent it and all that we can uh, to, to, to uh, protect ourselves from catching it. And we're praying that uh, doctors and researchers will have a breakthrough and a cure, a vaccine uh, for coronavirus. We're praying that it will run its course and that the threat will go away. But I want to tell you that sin has not run its course and it will not run its course. It will not go away. There's only one cure and that cure is provided to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, this man, he, he no longer faced the imminent threat of his physical life being over, but he faced the imminent threat of the accountability of his sin and his eternal death. And God brought him to the question, I need to be saved. What do I need to be saved from? I need to be saved from my sin. Why? Because I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, if I get what I deserve, it's an eternity in hell, separated from God. And so we see this. Now, the Lord provides the answer. And so we note the third thing. That is the promise 
of the answer. The man asked the question, the most critical question you will ever ask, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be delivered from my sinfulness? What must I do to be delivered from the eternal condemnation that, I, that is awaiting me? And so the answer came in verse number 31. Notice it with me if you would. Acts 16 and verse number 31. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Oh, we live in a confusing day, do we not? We live in a day, for example, with the coronavirus where news reports are conflicting, where organizations who are trusted put out information. They're putting out the best information they can. I certainly believe that. But we're learning something new every day. And sometimes the thing that we heard yesterday, we find that tomorrow it will not be applicable. It will not be pertinent. It will not be as factual as we once considered it to be. That same confusion reigns in our world concerning spiritual matters. And I want to tell you that the devil is doing all he can to confuse people, uh, to, to, to lead them astray from the truth. And I want you to know that God has the truth. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And whenever we find truth, we're going to find that Satan will counter it with error and confusion. And here's what we know about that, that God is not the author of confusion. And so we must look to the Lord and to his truth if we're going to find the answer. And this man knew who to go to, didn't he? He went to Paul and Silas and he said, what must I do to be saved? And they very gave him, they gave him a very concise and simple answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see, in the critical moment, in the critical moment when he was about to end his life, what did they say? Do thyself no harm. Can I tell you that God's intention has always been that no one would be harmed? God's intention has always been that you and I would not face sin and death and judgment, but that you and I would become righteous and face a destiny of eternal life with him. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. It's not God's will for anyone to die and go to hell. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's desire that every person would be saved. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 and verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to tell you, God sent his son to keep us from perishing. We were already living in a house on fire. We were already perishing in our sins and in our trespasses. And God sent his son to redeem us, to deliver us from our sin and from an eternity in hell. The Bible says in verse 17 of John 3, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not send his Son to condemn you. He sent his Son to save you. Amen. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I want you to know that this night, this night that we find here in Acts chapter 16, this Philippian jailer, he was made aware of his sin and he was made aware of who the Savior was. And he trusted on the Savior. He said, what must I do to be saved? And so the message was given, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I want to ask you a question. Have you asked or considered that question in your own heart? What must I do to be saved? Maybe with all the news and all of the uncertainty and all of the confusion in this hour, you're beginning to realize that there's an eternity that awaits you. That there are things more important than ball games and your schedule or your job. And you're beginning to grow concerned. I want you to know God will use this and is using this in your life to bring you to an awareness of the problem that you have. The problem that we all have. The problem of sin and his remedy for it. You see, when the man said, what must I do to be saved? The apostle Paul gave him a truthful and a simple answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I wanna share with you what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 10 because the apostle Paul really helps us understand here what it means to believe. In Romans chapter 10 and verse number nine, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I want to ask you a question. Do you have an awareness of your need for Jesus today? As you think about your life, as you think about where it's all heading, do you recognize I'm going to stand before God one day? I'm going to give an account for my sin. Are you willing to come to him? You see, the Bible says that if we believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead. You see, the gospel is the good news. The good news. We need good news, don't we? Let me tell you what the good news is. Jesus, the Son of God, died for you. The Bible says the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means he died in our stead. He died in our place. Jesus took my sin and my death and your sin and your death and the sin and death of all humanity upon him on the cross. He went to the cross, suffered and bled and died to make the payment for my sin and yours. If you believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, on the third day he came out of that grave victorious over death and hell. He ascended up into the heavens and he is in the presence of the Father interceding on our behalf at this moment. If you believe that Jesus died for you, if you believe he's the Son of God who rose again from the grave and you're willing to confess him, to call upon him, to ask him to be your Savior, the Bible said he will save you. 
That's what it means to believe. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He goes on to explain this a little more in verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In verse number 13, he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to call upon the name of the Lord? Do you recognize the need of your life? Maybe God in his providence is using this crisis to make you aware of the great need of your soul, and that is to be saved. God, through this crisis, has helped you to see the problem, the problem of your sin. And now you're at the point where you need God's help. You need an answer. You need a promise that you can hold to. God has provided that promise for you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you do that this morning? Would you call upon the name of the Lord? I want to invite you to pray with me. If you're watching and you say, this is what I need. I needed to hear this. I need to be saved. Then I want to invite you today to trust the Lord as your Savior. Would you follow me in this prayer? You can pray from your heart. Use my words if it helps you. But pray it with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, if I die without you, I deserve to go to hell. And I know that you're the Son of God. And that you came and lived upon this earth. And died for me. To make the payment for my sin. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. And you're alive today. Lord Jesus, I ask you today to save me. Today I believe on you. And help me to serve you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer from your heart unto God, if you called upon him, the Bible said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. And if we can, I hope you'll let us know. You can send us an email to church at tabernaclehickory.org. That's church at tabernaclehickory.org. You can send us a message if you're watching on Facebook. We'll do our very best to respond to you as promptly as possible and send you some material that we trust will help you. But we want you to know that the Lord loves you and he desires to save you. If you're not saved, we encourage you to save, to trust him today. And then I want to encourage our church family in the midst of this crisis and how we're being affected. Uh, let's not be deterred from our course. Let's, let's continue to be faithful and let's honor the Lord in our lives. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. 
That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.